Thank you for joining us for this episode of Journey Now, produced by Journey Church in Brentwood, Tennessee. For more information on Journey Church and our gatherings, visit journeytn.com. Everybody, welcome to the Journey Now podcast, another edition of uh, yours truly, Mike Erie, along with Kevin Dixon, soon to be on sabbatical, Alyssa McNally, um, happy that Kevin is on sabbatical, uh, <laughs> Tim Timmons, and Susie Lind. Now, the question for today, guys, Gwyneth Paltrow oh. came out yesterday <laughs> with a confession. Are you serious? <laughs> And you, yep, you yep. Yeah, I mean, her, you have to look this one in this room. You have to look her, her worst, her worst moment uh, about quarantine. Her worst moment? Okay. Yep, was that she ate some bread. Did you not oh, hear about this? Yes. And um, nope, this and is news shocked. to me. Yep. And so I figured uh, as her worst and, and alcohol, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. But it was the bread that really grabbed the headlines. Is this communion? Is she, she taking communion? No. She, yeah. she, went, off, and she went off the rails during she, she plays. Oh, I did see this on the internet. She plays yes. Pepper on the um, Iron Man movies. Uh-huh. She's cute. Great, great, great job, Kevin. Yes. <laughs> That's who that is. <laughs> um, Just clarify. <laughs> so, so the question is, okay, what dietary... What was your dietary low point? If that was Gwyneth's, what was your dietary low point in quarantine? All right, that's the that's the starter question today. Susie, I know you've got one right at the top of your uh, of your head, so go ahead. Well, I have. It's so funny because are you going to ask for clarification or not? No, I'm oh, okay. super clear when it comes to food. <laughs> <laughs> so quarantine, Steve Lind turned into a chef. Yeah, it was right. pretty awesome. We got all into like several cooking productions on from YouTube to I don't know where else they were streaming, but we followed some like really great cooking situations. And mm. then Steve ended up going down to Tullahoma and buying a green egg off a guy in a um oh. that was selling oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. oh he was selling he was uh, selling more than that is what you yeah. said <laughs> out of his trunk. Huh? Anyway, we got a, a great Walmart. deal. We yeah. got a great deal. He's been cooking nonstop and since. Yeah. I mean, okay. we have been very happily fed. Yeah. <laughs> and so I don't know that I would call it a um, what did you how do you describe it? A downturn? I it mean, was a low, it was a low was, point. No, a not, low not point. a low point. Okay. The question, however, was the low point. Your diet because that Gwyneth confessed to eating bread. What Susie, what do you <laughs> I mean, did you eat bread? I always eat bread. Okay, there you go. Yeah. 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 Wait, so what's the question? Oh. What is our low point? Are we talking yes. dietary low point? Do you I think guys I've, not I, listen? I mean, it's I, I really did, Mike. Simple I did. I listened. Question. I don't know if I have a dietary low point. Yeah, I, I, ate a, I ate a few non-organic things. I eat like a it's been wild in my body. <laughs> let's just say. Yeah. So I, 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 yeah. You know, the to-go margaritas has really been a game changer for me. <laughs> yes. Perfect. Alcohol to-go. Rosé, I mean, they actually made That's all I've the, ever wanted. The, so for people who are listening that don't live in Tennessee, there's High been point. for years, there's been different laws around purchasing alcohol mm -hmm. on weekends and where you can buy what. And you can only buy hard alcohol still from a liquor store. You can't buy those at the grocery store here. And so 
they made liquor stores or the, the beverage stores, the, like the bottle shop and red, red dog and all that. Those were essential businesses. Red dog. <laughs> During the shutdown. Of course. I mean, yeah. Of course. Thank you. Yeah. Um, thank you. So the, the, I would say the, uh, the, here, here's the problem with asking me a low point on diet. Um, I, I don't know if there is such, such a thing. Um, do you live at a low point? I think I do. Yeah. I, I yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a plateau. It's a, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's more a, of a plateau. It, you know, we were talking about this a little bit yesterday is, you know, was it uh, Warren Buffett has, has looked at the actuary tables and decided that six-year-olds live the longest and they're most unlikely <laughs> to die. So he created his diet around what a six-year-old would eat. And I think I've modeled that most of my adult life. Hot dogs and you're doing uh, great. McDonald's. Yeah. yeah. Um, you're doing great. Yeah. French fries. Yeah. Yeah. Just a bit I, of I like apples butter. and peanut butter. Um, doesn't chips a good and cheese. Chips and cheese. Twizzlers. Yes. I know you're yeah. dead. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's yours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But so Mike, what about you? I had uh my wife stuck some broccoli in to one of um <laughs> one of the casseroles we had, and that was man, that was awful. No. No, no, so, no. That no, was your splurge. No. That was like, no. That was my low point. That was that was that was the <laughs> dietary low point of the whole. Yes. That's so like I just thought I thought roasted of anything yeah. of all the things to confess. Yeah. I broke down over quarantine and ate bread. Well, so, and to be fair, I mean, I would like to know, you know, what kind of no, context. I would like no, to hear no, the context no, in which no, she said it because no. I. I'm nope. a, I mean, I'm a Gwyneth fan, and nope. I can't, I can't imagine that she was like legit, goop. seriously saying, like, "Dude, she formed the goop." Worst thing. Goop. <laughs> hey, but one thing I did figure out cooking over quarantine was how to make a good gluten-free crust for pizza and make a decent pizza. So yes, that that has been. Um, one yeah, of the, we're not um, looking for flexes. We're not looking for your biggest flexes. Well, I'm telling you, some people okay. would say that's a low point, but I. Personally, anything that revolves around pizza. Well, Gwyneth's uh, cocktails and a good beer. that she we don't we don't want to know more about Gwyneth. Well, they, I'm just saying <laughs> that Susie. they were quinoa based. This was not cocktails. a oh. Gwyneth so you question. Might, you might Kevin might in his GF world might <laughs> yeah. find that interesting, interesting that yeah. they were quinoa based. No, great, I'm cocktails. glad uh, Kevin may find it interesting. The rest of the internet does not. Now, <laughs> Twitter would say otherwise. Our topic, <laughs> yes, it would. Our topic today, <laughs> and if you're new to the Journey Now podcast, so we we do a bit of witty banter, um, <laughs> or just banter, or just banter. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. There, it's the ideal that we're yeah. shooting for. <laughs> yes, um, and then and then usually we'll dive into a, a bit of a controversial topic. And the point in doing controversial topics with several people who don't all think the same way is to model. This emphasis um, that we have on hospitality towards one another, and um, and to listen and to learn and to you know have strong opinions about very important things, but to recognize those aren't the most important things about us in our um, friendship together. Um, and so, and then Susie will usually have um, a killer interview after it, kind of part two of the thing, and we don't necessarily have to keep them related, but. Sometimes it works out that way. Um, today, I want to talk about it. We're, we're recording this on Tuesday after Mother's Day. And um, and the Saturday before Mother's Day, the Twitterverse blew up when um, Saddleback Church in uh, California 
ordained three female pastors um, uh, officially breaking with the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention. Sunday, um, on Mother's Day, <laughs> instead of doing a nice like, hey, um, happy Mother's Day, Albert Moeller throws out into the Twitterverse uh, a quote from John Broadus warning against the practice of women preaching in church worship. Uh, this is not a new belief or doctrine. And Broadus, Broadus wrote this in 1880 oh. and then quoted John A. Broadus, who, as it turned out, uh, was a slave owner and somebody who uh, argued that black people weren't fully human. So that was irony upon irony. And then yesterday, um, a, a sweet, a sweet, kind um, thought leader for some conservative circles made this list. Christian women, colon, God loves the vocation of homemaking, laundry, changing diapers, oh, menu God. planning, preparing meal after meal, teaching children, helping and supporting your husband, praying, sewing, knitting, etc. The world scoffs, but all this work will be wrote, uh, by, be re rewarded by God. So um, I thought it was kind of an interesting uh, Mother's Day weekend when the rest of the world was celebrating moms and Christian Twitter was having a meltdown around mm. the role of women in the church. <laughs> and obviously, we uh, are a part of a community where we have a woman elder and a, a woman pastor and a woman teacher, all in the same person, her name's Susie. Um, <laughs> Which we so, hope to expand. Yes, token yes. Woman. We're working Seriously. on, we're working on that. And Middle and, Eastern. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. Uh, and an well, immigrant. Yeah. Well, Middle Eastern is what makes it okay. Um, oh. Yeah, that's the nice. exception clause <laughs> in the Greek. Women should be silent unless they're Middle Only Eastern. Only from our own people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's good. I, didn't, um, I missed but, that footnote. But I thought, I thought it would be an interesting sort of discussion because, uh, at least for me, I was raised in, uh, and, and in seminary taught that conservative view that the role of women is restricted in the church. And um, I wanted to talk just a little bit about how, because I know, Susie, you've commented on the Mike Monday podcast. That was the, the view you had growing up, the view you inherited. So mm -hmm. I just wanted to talk a little bit about how it is that we've sort of evolved on this issue, what it was that sort of provoked us to rethink that sort of traditional view. And um, in light of that sort of growth for us, how we would respond to some of what's been thrown out there around the role of women in the church. So yes, Alyssa. Um, your, your microphone is, yep. is just rubbing a little bit on your beard. So. Oh, okay. Just, just okay. Thank you. I just talked okay. about that, but it, oh, oh. No, no. Hey, oh, great. Hey, um, before we, we dive in way on the deep end there, I, I, you know, I listening to that list of things that um, you read after saying colon um yeah you got colon take care of your colons guys yep um i i don't want to belittle those things those things are of great value to people um, which things? the homemaking things yeah i mean there's there's i i just want to make sure that there's a deep understanding as we have this conversation that i mean i don't know how to sew but i wish i did sometimes there's a, there's a, but 
there is this equality that exists within a relationship that um, do your strengths in that relationship. And I, and I think it honors the relationship, but it does, those things don't have to be specifically gender. Um, well, that's the part, that's the part we're talking about. It's not that those things aren't important. Right. The Lord raising They're their assigned children. to one gender in those. Well, but to um, Kevin's credit, my father in the room, he grew up doing all of those things aside from sewing. Yeah, not my thing. Um, I mean, he grew up in, I grew up in a household where both of my parents did all of those things. So he's coming from that perspective as he speaks to it. I bear witness. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Testify. I wish I had my kids on the podcast to talk about how great I am. I guess we'll just have to wait for that. <laughs> okay. And Mike also irons his own t-shirts. I don't know. <laughs> he only wears black okay. shirts. That's right. That's right. That's yes. right. In but, the um, public right now, people should know his shirt is dusty blue. <laughs> heathered, heathered blue. Is that what that That's, is? Yeah. Yes. Heathered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's only because the black shirts are dirty. That's the only reason. Sounds like you need to do some of your own laundry. Oh, I do. I do the laundry. I do the laundry for the Erie house. See, we're good. We're all on the same page. The men in this room also do things in the house. Yeah. Yes. And it is work that's honored by God. Yes. Absolutely. I just think, okay, so here's my clarifying question for the person who can't answer it because they posted whatever their their list of Mm -hmm. what God honors. So if you are a woman who never gets married, and never has children. Yeah. And, you know, so what it is, and you don't have a husband or a father alive to provide for you. Does that make you less of a woman because your work is not um, just centered around building a home? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. You know? I, it, the, the answer is obviously no, but I think the wrestling matches, I think that's, that's the traditional view that brings, and I so don't agree with this, but they would say brings value to a, a woman's life. Right. So the, but there are women who are obviously called to singleness yeah. or, or, you know, it is God's plan for them to be single longer than they want to be maybe, or yeah. some people, some women choose to be single. Yeah. They prefer it that way. Paul definitely did not despise his singleness. In right. fact, he talked about mm-hmm. what advantage it was. Adva- an advantage it was and what a blessing he was allowed to be because he was single. And so, mm-hmm. you know, where's the gender equity in that is my question. And maybe if someone's listening and they have an answer for that, they would like to indulge us in that mm. part of the conversation. Cause I really genuinely am curious about what people think about that, mm-hmm. who, who maybe don't share the same view that we view, yeah. you know, and which is fine. I mean, I have plenty, I have, a, I have a lot of friends who I love and who I know love me and we are in relationship and they would never go to a church where a woman teaches or is an elder, mm-hmm. but, yeah, we, but we're still we in some, relationship and yeah. it's awesome because our friendship is not based on what I do. Yeah. And that's pretty amazing coming from you, the person who people left our community because you were a pastor and an elder and speaking, yet you're still friends with those people. Yeah. Because I know it has nothing to do with me. I mean, maybe five to 10 years ago, I would have taken that personally, but I was still working through everything myself in those years. But now, you know, I think I know who you're talking about and it's like, 
I know that they love me and my family and, and they just don't, it's not me. It's the, it's the idea of what I do. I wouldn't even say it's the idea of me. It's, you know, and there's so much more to that relationship that, you know, I don't take it personally. If someone doesn't want to talk to me about it though, like I do I, that, I have to work through some personal feelings about that because it's like, you know, like, let's just talk about it and engage with it. But. Yeah. yeah. I, I, it, from a purely theological standpoint, mm-hmm. and this is where, you know, I really want to, you know, speak to one of Mike's strengths is to draw all these things into context, the right context. Um, when we read things in the Bible, sometimes we, we don't have the context, right. Mm-hmm. And I, and a lot of what is addressing women mm-hmm. is, is taken out of context. And, and so theologically to read it, and that's the struggle. It's a struggle with the Bible. When people say, I just read it and I'll take it for its plain meaning. Well, sometimes the plain meaning in the city of Ephesus in 80 AD is is not plain to us. So, mm-hmm. so there is a, um, a missed element of cultural norms of, of what actually is being broken, what is actually being proposed by the Bible is different than what is the plain reading. And I know what I just said is very inflammatory for many people. Well, mm-hmm. why is that inflammatory? Because I'm saying it's more complex than, than many people want it to be. Well, and the people there are people who are very, very smart and have spent mm-hmm. a lot of time in school and studying theology, mm-hmm. you know, like Al Mohler, like I yeah. said, you know, and that's how they interpret the scripture. Mm-hmm. So yes. I don't, I just, I read the way God interacts with his people in scripture mm-hmm. and what women actually did in scripture. And mm-hmm. I see a very different narrative. I mean, yeah. if you, uh, for me, and again, I don't have the training that Al Mohler has, but I, I look at that and I think if you take that and then you look at the Proverbs 31 woman, yeah, I mean, she's the, the gold standard, right? And yet that scripture, that proverb was written as a blessing for a woman towards the end of her life, Mm -hmm. blessing her for, it's a blessing read over the matriarch of the family for all that she has accomplished throughout every season of her life. She didn't do all of those things in one day or in one season. There was a time when she clothed her children. She sewed, she cooked, she had her finger on the pulse of the household. She made money. She, she went ran and a business. bought and sold. Yeah. She's and a, supported her husband while he sat at the city gate. And, <laughs> and she's apparently a three on the Enneagram. Yes. Yes. I love her. Yes. <laughs> Susie and I are both threes. Yes, you are. And the but, great the great news about Proverbs 31 is it's not about women at all. Like it's about lady wisdom. And so it's an ode to wisdom. And yeah, so that talk right. about a verse that's been yanked out of mm context good lord there is no proverbs 31 woman woman yeah yeah the whole every feminine reference in proverbs is about is about wisdom and so it's not a you know this this christian ideal that has somehow been concocted um from a verse in proverbs that isn't even about a gendered person is um i mean it just proves the point of context right i mean it's not 
But we can look at, at and we can look at other women in scripture who, you know, were actual women who did things like Lydia was a businesswoman, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Phoebe yep. worked alongside Paul, carried yeah. the letter of Romans to Rome yeah. and delivered it. Yeah. Verbally read and, and interpreted it. I'm sure she read it. Yeah. yeah. You've got Priscilla. You've got, I mean, mm-hmm. so, and you've got even, even Junia Miriam, and you've got Junia and you've got women who like when so this was, this was a struggle <laughs> for me Don't forget when Gwyneth. in those scriptures in, in Timothy, where he talks about women being silent and, mm-hmm. and not teaching a couple of verses, you know, before or after, I can't remember exactly. He talks about women when they prophesy. Yeah. Well, I've been in churches where prophecy is. It's, it's a thing, right? Yeah. And so, but I, I've never experienced it before where a woman or a man stands up and prophesies and I don't learn something. Mm-hmm. I'm not led into something, Sure, you know? So, so if, when they prophesy, mm-hmm. how's that compatible with the belief that they have to stay silent, right. you know? So there's just a lot of misinformation mm-hmm. and misunderstanding about those passages. Which we can unpack. Alyssa, how, how did... I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Kevin. I'm sorry, no. I thought you were done. No, I am done. I, I, I just want to unpack those at some point where... Yeah. On a Sunday. We'll unpack them. Anyway. Alyssa, what was it like um, What was it like for you? How, how did you... Where, where did you... Because uh, it sounds like your household was super healthy and seeing both genders involved. Um, what's your thought process on the stuff that you've you've heard... Um, that I just read from the tweets from the Twitterverse. <laughs> this one's a little harder for me to talk to you because it feels very personal to me. I'd say the majority of the things they talk about are kind of some of them I obviously get really heated about, but it's not as much about my personal everyday life. This one is. Um, but I would say <laughs> that I grew up in a, a very conservative Christian community where all of those tweets are what they actually believed. And it was like what was bred into me. So like all of my mentors and teachers and people like that were um, women who really believed those things very sincerely. Um, And the majority of it was like, um, you know, sacrifice yourself at all costs for the sake of your children and for the sake of others. Mm -hmm. Um, And don't, you know, I mean, it's a very Christian culture idea that like you sacrifice yourself for others at all costs. And it's specifically um, pushed onto women, I think more than anyone else. Um, Men can get away with a lot more (laughs) Um, and they can kind of, you know, make money. They can do the things without being called selfish or that they're not spending time with their kids or all of those things. Um, So it's just not something that women have a different standard that they have to live up to in our culture across like the whole American culture, I would say. Some progressive cities have gone a little bit farther ahead of us, but I would say even in Nashville, um, being a working parent, a mom still has a little bit of a, oh, Mm. like you're not going to be at every school function. You're not going to volunteer. You're not going to, you know, do all of the things that moms are expected to do. Um, There's still a a stigma. Stigma. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think I watched, um, I've had to do a lot of undoing. I mean, people, mm-hmm. I guess no one on listening might know, but I, I work full time. My, uh, I'm the only provider in my household. So I work a lot. Um, I still spend a lot of time with my kid and my husband too, but 
I, I work a lot. I don't clean. I don't cook. My husband does those things. And uh, for me to be able to do that has been a lot of undoing of the narratives inside of my own head mm-hmm. of what it means to be a woman and, uh, and what it is to even make money. That was always kind of something that felt like I wasn't supposed to do it because it was evil mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. Um, and specifically women weren't supposed to make a lot of money in my mind. So I've had to undo a lot of those things and yeah. uh, I still am undoing them. Um, but I would say culturally it's, it's a battle for sure. Well, and even when you do undo it, I mean, I had to undo a lot of that stuff too. You still live with a tremendous amount of daily mom guilt of Of like, am I doing enough? Am I here enough? Am I attuned enough? Am I, you know, I mean, it's just, and especially, you know, I mean, we joked about being threes. I mean, that's the curse of being (laughs) an Enneagram three, but like, but like, I mean, men mm -hmm. can get away with like, oh, like I had to work until six today. And that's like, okay. But if I work until six, it's like, that is, you know, two right. hours of time. You weren't mm-hmm. with your child. I was like, what? But I like, seriously, mm-hmm. I don't get those things that are automatically afforded to my male counterparts, but I'm still required to do way more in the workplace than they are. And I'm required to do more at home. So the amount of equality issues are more than I can count, but this isn't about equality. Um, in the workplace or any, or in the home. I mean, it's just a, it's a standard in our culture that, that is shifting, but we still have a lot of work to do. Yeah. Tim, how about you? I mean, you and I were raised in similar church environments. Um, what, what was it that sort of opened you up to the, or were you always this way? Um, <laughs> open to, no, no, opened you up to, to following women in leadership. Gosh, I just, I just never thought of it at all. I mean, I yeah. think it just was always just a, a given to me. Mm. So these are almost new conversations. Even when you were growing up? Yeah, I don't feel like, I, it just didn't seem like an issue to me until I went to college mm-hmm. to the Christian mm-hmm. university and felt it there for sure. And that, I mean, that's, I didn't even know what a denomination was growing up. You know, yeah, I was a pastor's kid, but didn't know what that was and. So there's, there are a lot of those things that I don't, I don't carry with me, but I see, and I'm Mm -hmm. sad for, and I love the way that we have handled this stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I definitely, it, it was just the air that we were breathing and the water we were swimming in. It was just, you know, the Bible, it's so clear. Um, what the Bible teaches on this. It's one of the clearest things I was told. And so it was just sort of accepted as, you know, I mean, it's not a gospel issue. So um, we'll order church leadership around the the way that Paul envisioned ordering a household. And that's kind of because there's this headship thing. And, right. and um, it wasn't until I got to Mariners where women were pastors and it was just sort of like, oh, well, yeah. Um, that it was like, well, yeah, why wouldn't they? And then, and then the kind of women there yeah. who were pastoring, you're like, oh, these, these are incredible. I mean, yeah. these women these are, women are bad the bone. Yeah. Yes. Like we would be so diminished and to call them something other than pastors would be so disingenuous, you know? Well, and, and the history though, the history of like, I was part of a denomination that was started by of all people, women. Um, and mm. And, and they went through a season of, in its early years, they ordained women. And then eventually it came back around where they stopped ordaining women and huh. saying, so it was, 
it was the history of the place was just it was schizophrenic in many ways and there were um, a lot of women I served with should have been pastors and we called them directors or um, coordinators coordinators they, yeah, yeah 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 and yeah. and but but they, <laughs> they were, were more leading. but they were they were more pastor skilled than a lot of the men I worked with um, and and it it was part of my um, challenge of being a part of that denomination to stretch it whenever I could it has been extraordinarily freeing to be out of it um, and not have to um, take the ongoing battle of in the denomination's position on over and over and over again. And yeah. it's been, it was, it was challenging. I, it, it was, and it was exhausting at times. I, I have a question. So when any of you have talked to other people who have held the other side of this view, yeah. Um, what has been, what, have, what have they, what has been a helpful comment or conversation or question to those people in that discussion, if you're able to have that discussion, has sure. there ever been a time when people go, huh, I didn't see it like that. I can now yes. see this. Well, I think for me, the thing that really pushed me over the edge, so to speak, is um, I noticed like in first Corinthians nine, when Paul talks about becoming all things to all people for the sake of the gospel, um, he says that he uses that language a lot in his letters. Yep. And, you know, like when he's, when he's talking to the Greeks, he talks to them using their language. He comes and he meets people where they're at because he doesn't want anything cultural to become an obstacle to the gospel. And this issue was largely cultural mm -hmm. when the Bible was written, largely, still is, but for sure in a patriarchal Middle Eastern mm -hmm. culture, of course, right? And so for me, I look at like everything Alyssa just said, right? And the culture that we're living in where we have women running for presidents, we have women in C-suite organization, in C-suite positions and organizations. We have lots of women business owners. We have a ton of single moms raising children on their own, which is socially acceptable. Mm. Um, we don't often do what the Bible tells us to do for widows and orphans, right? Um, so, so this to me has become a gospel issue. It gets in the way of people being willing to sit with other believers and receive and listen. If you, if you don't allow women to speak and serve and, and lead, if you don't give them a place at the table, so to speak, that becomes a hindrance for people in our culture to hear the gospel. Mm -hmm. And so that for me was the game changer. And, um, and I, I share that with my friends who, who don't agree with me and, and they, I mean, we have great conversation about it from that standpoint. And from their from their position, I think they feel like, um, and they wouldn't say that the gospel need that it needs to be protected and you need to stay because the gospel doesn't need to be protected. Jesus doesn't need our help. <laughs> nope. Um, but I think there is a, the other viewpoint is you have to preserve what is good and true and holy. And this, this falls under that category for them and the order of the church and the order of family and all of that is good and true and holy to 
people who hold that perspective. And so, um, yeah, I, I, right. Yes. This is a good word. Um, for me, it is to take it out of the category of essential mm -hmm. that you and I have to agree about this if we're going to agree about Jesus. And for people that have come to the conclusion that you and I have to agree on the role of women in the church in order for us to agree on Jesus have missed the point totally. So I've been able to take people down the path of this is a non-essential of agreement. Mm -hmm. We... Um, a lot of times, though, it gets caught up in, yeah, but if you believe that, then you believe this, then you believe there's this snowball effect. Mm -hmm. And I go, well, I don't believe those things. I believe this, and I can explain it to you if you want to hear it. But there's oftentimes just a uh, assumption made that you've gone down a path of affirming things that you just don't, and that you've somehow misinterpreted the Bible. And once you start misinterpreting the Bible, then even your version of jesus becomes questioned yeah and, i mean it's a i mean the yeah. people i've talked to it's always the so you're just going to pick and choose this part but not this part i mean that is the right but we all do that that's what i, I mean my comment about widows and orphans yeah. i mean like like we all do that i yeah. mean i don't i don't wake up every day thinking how can i serve the widows and orphans in my community but james says that's what true religion is the least of these mm -hmm. it's the ministry to the least of these yeah yeah I find it to be like the thing that I usually will bring up. I don't usually talk to men about these things, but if I'm going to talk to him other than my dad, <laughs> I mean, like if somebody, if a man wants to talk to me about it, I will, but usually in talking to like my friends from college and I went to the same denomination that my dad preached in my whole life, which is um, they don't believe women should be pastors or really anything except for a wife. Um, and I, I have many friends, like they stood up in my wedding. They are like some of my best friends. They do not agree with me on pretty much anything that I say. Um, <laughs> but they, we have a, a very healthy mutual respect for each other. Um, and my biggest thing and my biggest point for them and my, the thing that I talk to the most is like, you are, you have so much to offer and mm -hmm. you have so much value. Mm -hmm. And it is important to me that even if the, the cultures that they submit themselves to and they put themselves into do not value that, that they know that I value that in them. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my best friends, her husband's a pastor in a very small church in Indiana, and she is the pastor of that church right. just as much right. as he is. Mm -hmm. She works just as, if not more mm -hmm. than he does to pastor that church. And she um, that leads worship every Sunday. She does all the admin. She oversees the whole children's ministry. She visits the sick. She takes care of the widows. She takes care of the single moms. You know, she pastors the whole church. Sorry. <laughs> no, but really though, the whole, a whole, um, Listen, of, of all the places to swear and use that word, that was, that was dumb. I mean, I mean, Lisa, you've up till this point, you've really chosen well. Sorry. <laughs> But, but this, this it makes one? me so mad the whole she doesn't get paid she works so hard she takes care of all of her kids and everybody else's kids and like no one recognizes that or like compensates for her and like because she doesn't preach on sunday morning she doesn't get a paycheck that blows my mind but you know different cultures but the main thing that i try to advocate for her is like you deserve rest. You deserve to be hurt. You deserve to be seen for what you do. And like you, she will serve to the point where she will just 
give yeah. until she has nothing left to give and it kills her. You know, she just gets so tired. Mm -hmm. And so my encouragement to the her and to that my other friends in similar positions is that take up space, have moments of rest, like know yourself, love yourself, um, and, and demand that from others as well. <laughs> like people should provide space for you to rest. People should provide space for you to take care of yourself. And um, that is not something that is taught in that culture. And I think that that's step one is that women deserve rest. They deserve to be seen and they deserve like at the very least words of affirmation. So usually when I'm in those conversations to go back to your original question is like, I'm just going to bid for some equality in just the way that you're treated um, I see socially. You. I see you yeah. and I, I want you to know that like the work that you do doesn't go unnoticed. And I think that's step one, hmm. um, see women as equal, um, even if we're not going to put them as pastors. <clears throat> that's so good. Does this, come, does this come down to a theological issue where, I mean, it's, it's truly just what people believe or not. And that's where we are with this. I don't think anything's just a theological issue. Great. So, um, no, this is cultural too. Yeah. But, yeah. but the cult, the culture is out of our, whoever's theological idea, understanding of God, not just the way that we think about it, but how we're living. Right. Sure. So it just seems like it's stemmed from there and the, our culture has then become what it's become for all these years and then just yeah. held it so tight and it's just starting to break out, which is so great. But I'm just curious of what the bottom line of this thing is. Oh, I, I just think Alyssa nailed it. Um, I mean, you can't open Genesis 1 and read the image of God as male and female. Right. And it's only expressed in male and female. And somehow think that the hierarchy that is introduced in Genesis 3 was God's original intention. And so I see all of the, I see all of Paul's instructions as reversing Genesis three. Uh, and that's the great irony is Paul's portrayed as this misogynistic um, patriarchy dude, when in actuality, he was, he was anything but that right. he was. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so for me, um, most people are not aware of the biblical arguments. They read the English words, they hear the English words referred to by white men in positions of power, and that is the end of the story. What they don't realize is just in virtue of the fact that you're not reading it in Greek, you're not getting the plain meaning. Um, uh, right. It's already been interpreted and translated for you, and, and that there is a battle over every single one of the words in uh, the Timothy passage that where Paul seemingly oh. forbids women from speaking. And so uh, for me, yes, uh, we've imported 1950s domestic um, gender role and nuclear family issues and called that Christian. And that is in great violence to the text. As well, and also, if it, if it's true for, if it's true for, it's gotta be true everywhere in the world. <laughs> Right. right. Yeah. So you just pointed out something that, you know, we've imported 1950s American culture, yeah. even yeah. Europe, maybe European culture. But you go to other parts of the world, you know, there, there are women are not staying home, only raising their babies and making food for all the men. They're they're maybe going out and hunting the food and getting the food and they're working in the fields and it's all com communal. It's not. Yeah. This is not how. Yeah. the rest of the world, the entire rest of the world 
lives their family units. And so yeah. that's another important distinction to make with all of our arguments biblically. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. so I'm going to, I'm going to wrap this up, Kev. We've, oh. we've been going, to, we've been going a while on this. Awesome. And so Let's we can do it. a follow-up if we'd like, but mm-hmm. Um, I want to wrap it and, and just say to whoever's listening, I'm sure there are people who are on both sides of this thing. And, and I love, again, the posture, and both Susie and Alyssa have alluded to it, the posture of um, recognizing that good people and smart people mm-hmm. can disagree on this. And, and it does sting, though. I've, I, I really resonated with what Alyssa was saying. This isn't, it, this isn't an abstract theological issue. Um, the, you know, as much as we, uh, as much as I can sort of abstract into here's the Greek exegesis of X, Y, and Z, this is, this is, this is hurting women, like in a very uh, deep and often tragic way. And, and, and obviously on both sides of the issue, people can be hurt. Things can be taken too far, but, um, our big, point would be that, um, or at least we would want everyone to at least be willing to open the text up and approach it in context with the greater narrative in view and um, be open to the possibility that we can have a very biblical disagreement. So often folks on the traditional side say, well, we have the Bible, here's what the Bible says, and they Mm -hmm. accuse folks like me or Susie or Kevin or whoever of not having the Bible and we're just responding to culture. And, um, and that's really not, that's very disingenuous. Uh, this is a, this is deeply, a, a deeply biblical argument that we would make that has lots and loads of practical ramifications. So um, if you'd be open to that possibility, um, but we also want to be a community that continues to learn and grow and evolve and listen. And so we'd love to hear your thoughts uh, whatever they may be, please let us know what you think. And then we're going to turn it over to Susie. Susie is going to lead us in another interview. And so again, as always, we're grateful to be part of a community that is willing to wrestle with these issues. Thanks. Well, speaking of women, my conversation today is with Cindy Helton. Her Instagram bio says she's a wife, mom, and Grammy, noticing God in the daily of life. Cindy has spent most of her faith life in traditional Christian spaces and has always been drawn to the more contemplative practices. Today, we talk about how quiet, stillness, and paying attention has formed her in her relationship with Christ, as well as our mutual love for Ruth Haley Barton, one of the leading voices in spiritual formation. After listening to this, you may want to check out Cindy's own podcast, The Daily Still, where she leads listeners through guided meditations. And if you have any interest in sitting around a table with Cindy to learn more about the sacred rhythms of practicing our faith, send me an email at susie at journeytn.com. I hope you are deeply encouraged today by our conversation. Well, hey, everyone. I'm so pleased to introduce you to our guest today on the podcast. I am just getting to know Cindy Helton. Um, Say hi to everyone, Cindy. Hello there. Um, Cindy and her husband, Clyde, are fairly new to Journey. Mm -hmm. They came in the midst of the pandemic, which is always fascinating to me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But I've gotten to know Cindy a little bit, and and I thought it would be wonderful for us to have a conversation today um, just to hear your story 
and um, your what you are so what you seem to be so deeply passionate about, and that is the contemplative side of of Christianity and and how that has shaped you and your faith and the way that you walk that out with others. So let's, I would love to just hear a little bit about your story and what your inherited faith is and how you grew up and how you ended up here at Journey. Okay, well, thank you for having me on the podcast. Um, it's, it's an honor. And it's also an honor to be um, going to Journey Church and being a part of what you guys are doing. It feels so in alignment with what my heart is and, and um, where God has led me. So. Um, Anyway, I was born and raised in Southern California, grew up there and lived there all of my life and through most of um, my marriage. I came from a a large family. I'm a middle child of five. Wow. (laughs) Yes. And um, an Enneagram nine. So the middle child and the peacemaker kind of sums up like who I am. (laughs) You already speak journey language that you're leading (laughs) off with your birth order and your Enneagram number. (laughs) Well, it took me a lot of decades to understand that and who I am. And so even, yes, in the last few years, just becoming more familiar with that and understanding myself more, um, how I operate, how God designed me, Mm -hmm. um, it's been fun and enlightening. But um, I have been married for 41 years. Wow. Congratulations. um, Thank you. Thank you. Um, My husband and I are retired and we like to travel. During the pandemic, we bought a an RV. This is our second round with that. We had one Mm -hmm. back in the day, but so we're kind of, I call myself a wanderer. I love to wander and travel and enjoy just the beauty of God's creation. That's awesome. Yeah. So we feel very fortunate to be able to do that. And um, we moved to uh, Tennessee. It's um, four years ago. Okay. And we followed our daughter out here. She'd been out here for quite a while and had her first child and we just wanted to be closer. So we bought a place in Tennessee and was traveling back and forth to California. And then, um, like I said, four years ago, we're all in, we bought our main house here and um, we now travel back to California to visit family and friends in our new motorhome. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm a mom. I have two amazing um, kids and um, wonderful son and daughter-in-law three little granddaughters. Grammy's my favorite title ever. The now, did you of my pick life. the name Grammy or did your kids pick it for you? You know, um, I picked it. Mm-hmm. I picked it. I kind of liked like the Grammy Awards. I wanted to be like oh, the nice. best Grammy. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to be different than uh, just grandma and so have a have yeah. my own special name. But mm-hmm. um, my one granddaughter calls me Mammy though. So oh, I'm Mammy and Grammy. Good. Yeah. Is that because she couldn't say Grammy or? I think so. Yeah. And it just stuck. (laughs) And so, yes, I'm Mammy to her. And sometimes when we're all together, I'm Grammy Mammy. And (laughs) that's awesome. That's so cute. But yeah, they're the joys of my life and um, such a, such a sweet stage of life. So that's such a blessing. Um, And then I just, um, in this season of life, I also, I am a podcaster, something I never thought I would be. And I host, um, a Christian meditation podcast called The Daily Still, and it does um, focus on just contemplative prayer and spiritual disciplines and practices. So that's kind of just mm-hmm. touching a little bit um, on where I'm at now. I grew up in the Presbyterian Church, 
and was um, baptized and became a member, part of how the Presbyterian Church does that um, mm-hmm. when I was 12. But um, after I graduated from high school, I became part of the Jesus movement in California with Calvary Chapel and Chuck Smith. Yeah, I'm very familiar with that. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So I was, um, that was a big part, a big influence in my faith walk and and learning. That was a big deal culturally at that time, like in that that specific area too. Mm -hmm. So out of that, for those listeners who don't, aren't really familiar with the Jesus movement, it's fascinating to Google the history of it. But out of that came Calvary Chapel, um, the, that whole movement and uh, eventually like the harvest crusades. Right. And yes. Uh huh. With Greg um, Laurie. Yes. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of, um, influential, like what's influenced and shaped the church and what it looks like today came mm-hmm. out of there. So, yes. yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so that was, um, that was really neat for me to be a part of that. It was very different. And I feel like during that season of my life, I discovered a part of the Holy Spirit that I was mm-hmm. not, a part of the Trinity that I was not so familiar with in the Presbyterian church. Um, mm-hmm. And that was the Holy Spirit, just yeah. understanding. Yes. Which is part of the Calvary Chapel and Jesus right. movement. Um, well, but and it's not cool to do because that movement just also for the listeners, I'm such a like church history nerd, okay. but, like, <laughs> but like, you know, you're, you're what you're, Imagine like a lot of people in the hip, like the hippie movement, basically, like a lot of people who were hippies then become Christians or people who maybe weren't hippies known as hippies, but kind of in that immersed in that culture, like the whole experiential part of Christianity, experiencing the Holy Spirit and, and some of the things, the supernatural, it, it almost was like kind of a. I don't know if this is the right way to say it, but like an easy in and, and it was, it was appealing to a lot of people at that time. Right. Would you say? Yes. And I'm thinking this is, <laughs> makes me smile, but I'm thinking of Mike, um, our new pastor and I'm um, yeah. coming to church in shorts and flip-flops. Like that was the culture. Yeah. That was and I know. Mm-hmm. Yes. And he's from California and our, our, yeah, was, was, yes, I know a pastor out there, but that is so yes. And mm-hmm. I was baptized in the ocean. And back then it was um, very um, unusual. We looked like hippies are different people sitting on the cliffs all around and baptisms taking place in the mm-hmm. ocean. And it was beautiful and organic and everyone was welcome and everyone is welcome. Yeah. So it was kind of a shifting from formal church. Mm-hmm. Um, but not to negate in any way my church background and the roots of my faith, right? Because I see every every piece of that being so important and continues to be so yeah. important as I learn from um, different different church backgrounds, but even back to the liturgical practices and the rhythms mm-hmm. of the church that are so important. Yeah, well, I'm thinking. I mean, I'm I'm. F- thinking that you've probably come full circle maybe in some ways because the the contemplative practices are probably more friendly in some Presbyterian circles, some mm-hmm. Presbyterian circles, not all, but some than then they would be in, in, in the more just, you know, even like what we know as evangelical church. Yes. And non-denominational. And then, uh-huh. Yeah. So maybe talk about that a little bit. What moved you, I mean, what moved you into into being drawn back into, into the more contemplative practices and, and all that. You know, it's such, um, 
our faith journeys are just so interesting. And again, it's so important mm-hmm. to just look back at our at our testimony and at the different pivotal points in our in our faith walk because you see God's hand um, each step of the way. As you reflect back, you don't always see it as you're in the middle of it or you're waiting for something. Mm-hmm. But even in preparing for this, I was um, this conversation with you today, um, Susie. I was reminded of oh my goodness, just new things. Um, the Holy Spirit was highlighting like how exacting that moment in time was. So for me, um, it I think those that longing, the desire. Mm-hmm the need for more. And we can't always put our finger on what it is, but we know we're wanting more. And in my 30s, I had, um, you kind of have these crises of faith, you're searching, you're looking for different things. But I also had a an an experience of um, facing a rare form of thyroid cancer. And I had young kids and Mm -hmm. I was panicked. I was, you know, scared to death. I was part of um, a Baptist church at the time and was surrounded by friends and prayer warriors. And, um, but going through that anxiety surfaced mm-hmm. and I began to um, deal with some panic attacks and those kind of things. It was kind of the beginning of that. Um, something that I continue to in my life um, have to pay attention to the anxiety popping up here and there. And yeah. the spiritual practices are something that have really helped me cope with that. But for me, it, t- it truly was a place of, um, of life circumstances that bring you to a desperation and a longing for more. Mm-hmm. And um, you so that more, am I hearing you say that that more came like as, as, as there was like an inciting incident, let's just say like a, a moment of clear need when anxiety popped up in your life and you learned these practices through, through wanting more of Jesus. Did you, are you saying that like, that, that that's still like anxiety is still a part of your life. And, and, and so these, these practices have helped you in that. Absolutely. So at that time Mm -hmm. in my thirties, um, Mm -hmm. one of the, the spiritual disciplines I learned was, um, from a friend who sent me a scripture, which is my life scripture, Philippians four, six, and seven, do not be anxious about anything, mm-hmm. but in everything mm-hmm. by prayer and petition. And with Thanksgiving, present your request to God and the, the peace of God that passes all understanding uh, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So that became um, my life first then, but I learned the practice of claiming scripture, taking a scripture, praying scripture, um, a, practicing it, um, that was a piece, that was a piece of the spiritual discipline that at that time, I didn't really know or would say it was one of the sacred rhythms, but I understand now that was one of the things today I, um, in sharing with you, I was like, oh, that piece came in way back then, Lord, way back Mm -hmm. then you were teaching me that the importance of taking your word, praying it, claiming it over my life and, and using it as the weapons that were given from the word of God to combat those anxious places and, um, and fears and those type of things. But that was, that was in my Mm thirties. Um, later on as, um, you know, life, life goes on and you, I did have, um, times of being really, really anxious and, um, Mm -hmm. battle. I would call it a, a, a big battle in my life, trying to, um, deal with the anxiety, the feelings that I kind of held inside and didn't know what to do with, um, 
about worrying about, well, will I be able to raise my children? Will I be here? I'm just, you kind of internalize and I do that anyways. That's more of who I am. And so it would manifest itself, as I said, in anxiety. But um, later um, in life, I came across another life crisis where there was just kind of like the perfect storm. And that's where, where God really revealed to me my deeper need for um, silence and solitude and mm. just total surrender in his presence. And, and um, I was back in 2005. So I've been doing this for a while now. I, I lost my, my sister. She lost her battle to um, Parkinson's disease. Oh, I'm sorry. And in the midst of that struggle, we were kind of noticing my mom was um, facing dementia Wow, and all those things were surfacing at once. And one day, um, the the day after my sister went home to be with the Lord, I was on my knees. Mm-hmm. Um, I still can picture it as I'm talking to you. I was yeah. on my knees um, next to my bed and looking out the my bedroom window. And I would, had my eyes open, and I was just praying, Lord, please give me the strength to get through this week. The planning to be there for my nieces, um, for my mom. I just feeling a grief and a burden and, and, but wanting to take care of everyone. Cause I'm this nurturer. I'm like, how can I do all this? And I'm like, please fill me with the power of your Holy spirit. Or I can't get through this week. And literally in that moment, a gust of wind. Now you're from California. So, you know, we have winds in Santa Ana winds. And so I'm not, it's not uncommon, but it was still a wind blew through like a tornado through my backyard shook everything, turned over like umbrellas outside. Um, and then it stopped and it was just perfectly still. Mm. And I, I, it totally had my attention. And I was like, what was that? And I got, it was so strong. I got up and I went outside. And the first thing I saw was a little angel on the table, a statue and, um, and heard in my spirit, I will command my angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Um, which is a scripture and that's what spoke to me, but our market umbrella had broken in half and it had been through many Santa Ana winds. It had never happened before, but it was in that moment of stillness um, that I just felt this peace of God, like what happened, God, what happened? And it it shook me. I, I sat there. I just kind of wandered around and I was like, this is a holy moment. Like you're present. I know you're here. Mm-hmm. Well, to continue that story, that night in the middle of the night, I got a phone call from my sisters um, up in Northern California where my dad was living um, with them and my dad had passed away. Oh my so gosh. <laughs> that was five days after my sister. Wow. And um, in that exact moment uh, when I hung up the phone, I heard in my spirit that that's why I showed up to you, showed up today and showed you who I am. I am with you. And so my husband and I were sitting up in my living room in the middle of the night. And I could just see that, you know, God was reminding me that he was near in the midst of all this. And obviously I was in shock and um, totally unrelated circumstance. I think my dad died of a broken heart, yeah. um, losing his firstborn daughter. And um, but in that moment, the craziest thing happened. I, I said to my husband, um, his name is Clyde, and I'm just like, that's why God showed up so powerfully today. Um, I know that. I know it without a doubt. Now, my husband 
loves streamlined things, clean house, sometimes <laughs> thinks I'm a little off spiritually, like all these things that I noticed, <laughs> just to give you a little picture of him. <laughs> and he said, which was totally a God, totally a God nudging. He's like, I threw away random. We weren't talking about this. I threw away that market umbrella in the trash and it's out on the street. They're coming tonight. Do you want me to go get it? Now, this is this is crazy. So he goes out to the cra- trash to get the, not the umbrella, but the broken off um, piece of the umbrella stick. And he came in with it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's a staff. Mm. I'm going to show you, Susie. You're, you're, we're on camera together. Wow. So I'm going to show you because it's behind me to this day. Wow. It's literally, for those of you who are listening and can't see, it's literally a broken off stick from an umbrella. Sorry. Yes. Sorry. My earplugs came out. Yeah. No, it's okay. But to me, I mean, immediately it looked like a staff. That plays into my testimony, the story down the way. But I I realize now again that God was giving me the, the, he had given me a staff and Mm -hmm. a shepherd's shepherd's calling that I was a shepherd to, to lead his people and, um, and to lead specifically into these practices that I now do today. But that was so random for my husband to even do that. I'm like, that, that yeah. is just not like him. He brought it in. He didn't even know what he was doing. It was a Holy Spirit moment. But as we put the pieces of our puzzle together mm-hmm. and pay attention, we'll see all those little moments mm-hmm. that led us to where we're at. Yeah. I love that you use the term pay attention because that, that's, that's, that's so important. It's been a theme that I've been I've been paying attention to paying attention. <laughs> yes, <laughs> if that makes sense. But just the, the importance of like, like that's a practice. That's a spiritual practice is to pay attention yes. and and look for those those threads where um, God is speaking and moving. And one of my favorite authors. I know we're going to be talking about Ruth Haley Barton, who we share a love for. Mm-hmm. But one of my other favorite authors is Margaret Feinberg, who wrote a book called The Sacred Echo. And it's, um, it's about like listening for the voice of God and d- discerning the voice of God in your life. And she calls it, you know, she talks about a sacred echo that, that if you pay attention, you can hear the same theme or the same message, either through scripture, through song, through art, through a, the voice of a friend or a loved one and um, through nature. Like there's all kinds of ways that God speaks to us and, um, and uh, paying attention for that is is yes. definitely something awesome to do. Yes, I'm going to have to read that book because I yeah, you would love it. Total agreement, and mm-hmm. even again, paying attention in the past as we look back, mm-hmm. I that was um, you know over 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. But paying attention to that, noticing the presence of God that's that's what my ministry calling is. That's my heart because He's always present, but we have to notice it, and the more we pay attention and notice the more we become seers of his presence and hearers um, yeah. because we're, we're familiar. We're, we're paying attention to what it is. I'm talking to you and a hawk flies by. And that just is how God speaks to me. It's, he reminds me Isaiah 40, 31, that, you know, those who trust in him will, will be lifted up and be strengthened. And, but the more we pay attention, those sacred echoes, as you said, they're mm-hmm. there. It's tuning our ears to that frequency and, and noticing that's what it was. And yeah. what I, like you said, we'll be talking about Ruth Haley Barton and sacred rhythms. And she talks about 
the story in First Kings um, mm-hmm. with Elijah. Mm-hmm. And God, literally today, Susie, God reminded me um, all along when I share that testimony about my staff and how God showed up so powerfully in the wind. Mm-hmm. God whispered today, oh, no, Cindy, that story was in the stillness. Mm-hmm. Just like Elijah. Yeah. He hid in the cleft of the cave and God did not show up in the earthquake or the wind or the fire, but in the perfect stillness that followed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd love to, I'd love to transition our conversation towards that a little bit more, because I know one of the things that you have loved to do in your, in your calling as a shepherd to people is, um, is leading, leading people through these practices and, 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 I guess, teaching about the sacred rhythms and also like helping people find their way through them. Um, but first, I think the first question I'd love for you to um, to talk about a little bit is for, for many people who grew up in a more religious environment in the church, mm-hmm. can you, can you talk about how, um, what, cause when I look at the, um, for example, when I look at the table of contents for, um, for, for sacred rhythms, I see, um, I see longing for more, and then I see solitude, scripture, prayer, um, but then I also see honoring the body, self-examination, discernment, and Sabbath. So um, some of those, some of that language may be um, different for some people. But ha- but my I guess my first question is: Can you talk about the difference between? sacred rhythms, practicing these sacred rhythms and, and what has been known as spiritual disciplines? Hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and important. Um, my journey actually started, um, with in sacred rhythms with, um, solitude and silence. Mm -hmm. And during that time, after the, the story I just shared with you, um, it was a couple years later before everything, um, actually hit a point, a breaking point, because I'd kind of gone on with life and mm-hmm. tried to just keep moving and do things. And, um, and we had, um, I, I'm backtracking a bit because it plays into this journey for me, mm-hmm. but um, we had uh, lost our mountain retreat home in one of the wildfires in California. And for mm-hmm. whatever reason, and it makes me smile because I know the reason God is a God of refining fire, mm-hmm. that losing of that home up there was when everything then crumbled. And I had to, um, I started having heart issues, racing heart, the anxiety from before, all of those things manifested in my body. Mm-hmm. The reason mm-hmm. I share all this, because it plays into the sacred rhythms. And like you said, honoring the body, how we're connected, body, soul, mind, mm-hmm. and spirit. Um, and at that time, that same time, my um, woman's ministry leader at the church I was going to randomly said, hey, Cindy, I have a book I think you'd be interested in reading. And it mm-hmm. was Invitation to Solitude and Silence by mm-hmm. Ruth Haley Barton, her first book. Yeah. You just sometimes you know when you know when you know. Mm-hmm. I read that book and it was like it was my my life, my longing. It was the missing piece. Mm-hmm. I had done um spiritual disciplines of journaling and Bible study. I, I love yeah, the quiet time, the quote the unquote quiet, quiet time. time. Yes. Yeah. I had done that many, many years, been in Bible study for many years. Um mm-hmm. Bible studies. Um and it's so important. Those rhythms and disciplines are are important to keep mm-hmm. us in um the quiet time is is important to keep us in a in a rhythm and a practice of just like feeding our body, feeding our souls. But mm-hmm. the the sacred rhythms um as you just read in in Ruth Haley Barton's book, 
Um, it's different in that we're we're looking at practices that the church has done throughout the beginning of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, garden, if we go way back, gardens in the Bible were so important. Gar- gardens and were places of contemplation and pulling away. Jesus went to the garden often, often to pray to before he gave his life. And we just see the the rhythms of pulling away. So when we step into those sacred and holy practices that have been around forever, we have to value um, the importance of those in our life and being in more um, contemporary church settings. And um, it's, we kind of have forgotten those. And as you said earlier, coming full circle. So these most all of these practices were different than what I um, had done on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And, and not that there was anything wrong with that, but there was, like I said, there was more, I needed more, I needed to hear from God, I needed not to just go through, I, I would hear God in scripture, but I needed to really hear his voice, mm-hmm. I needed to know the personal intimate relationship. Um, and for me, it just required and, and again, it's different for each one of us. And how we're wired, what we're looking for, which spiritual practices is most important or that we need to fall back on most often. But I would say that every single one of them is critical in our faith walk yeah. in, in drawing near to God. But so every single one of them is critical and important in our faith walk with God. But, you know, someone like my personality, of course, I'm much more mature <laughs> than I was. <laughs> 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But 10 years ago, I would have looked at this and been overwhelmed and said, I don't have time to do all of these things. Right. Yeah. So I love what um, I know that that Ruth says in, in this particular book, Sacred Rhythms, she mm-hmm. says that you're supposed like they're designed as graces. They're not the um, they're not the end. They're the means to an end. They're, they're, they're the graces that are given to us by God. And we're invited to take what we need to receive what we need. Right. Mm -hmm. So can you, can you talk a little bit about what that's looked like for you? I would say um, that's very true uh, because we can't, if, if we try to go through this, these um, a list, let's call it, of, of mm-hmm. sacred rhythms or spiritual disciplines, then it becomes just that. It becomes more doing than being. Yeah, it becomes religion. It becomes religion. Mm-hmm. It's all about being in that place. And so every season of life, and a season may be a few months, and it may be a few years in your life, mm-hmm. where you settle into a certain place and need to be there. When I was first introduced to um, Solitude and Silence, I was like, I've longed for this. I mean, I had no idea I was a contemplative at heart or so because yeah. I'm a busy person and I like to do and take care of things. And there's a there's a constant battle within me mm-hmm. to um, to sit still. I had to learn to do that by just little bite sizes of time. But I, I would say I stayed in that place of solitude and silence for a few years. So what does that look like? What does solitude and silence look like? It was definitely pulling away, um, being in a space of being by myself in long periods of prayer, mm-hmm. soaking worship, just, I mean, to the point of feeling guilty, like I should be doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, and in reviewing um, Ruth's books again, I realized she found herself in that same place. And I think it shows the great need we can be, the desperate need we're in at certain times of our life 
to be saturated in a particular spiritual practice, whatever that one may be for you at any yeah. given moment. And you just have to stay there. But the the filling is always for the pouring back out, right? Mm-hmm. So we, but sometimes we, it for me, I can be filled up in a 15 minute session of um, silence. My morning typically looks like I go out on my back deck and take in the beautiful view and have my coffee. And I need to just sit still, I need to just sit still for a few minutes. And that's not generally an hour, mm-hmm. but just a few minutes. And I might listen to a meditation podcast. I might just say the Lord's prayer, but there's other times where I know within myself, I need more time. I need yeah. to sit through a whole um, soaking worship CD. If you're not familiar with, with that, it's just music that helps you enter in with lots of spaces and maybe singing over some, the, the singing, maybe scripture being sung over you and just receiving, not doing anything, not feeling like you have to, mm-hmm. to pray, but knowing in the receiving that you're there in the presence of God. And it's just an intimate relationship that you're just hanging out together. You just want to be in his presence and receive the rest that God so wants Mm. to offer to us. So for me, that was the beginning was the solitude and and silence. I require a lot of silence. I know that about myself. If I look at these lists of disciplines and um, some I don't hardly ever do. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's other ones I fall back on all the time that are just a part of my life. And that's why it's important because we're all wired so different and we all have different circumstances. And so there's not a, there's not a a prescription for this. This is Mm -hmm. embrace it, take time to embrace it. This is not something to rush through. It's just Mm -hmm. about taking time and experimenting. I always say it's practicing. It's practicing the presence of God. We just keep practicing (laughs) and someday our faith will be fulfilled in in heaven. But in the meantime, God wants us to live here on this earth in the fullness of his joy. Um, There will be hard things, but he still wants to fill Mm -hmm. us with um, all the good things that he has for us. And I believe it's these sacred rhythms that help us enjoy all the other pieces of life. Well, Cindy, I know you and I are talking about um, potentially doing a I don't know if we would call it a study, but a a gathering of practitioners who would like to delve deeper into the sacred rhythms. Mm -hmm. Um, So we'll have more information on that coming up soon as we work out some of those details. Um, But you, um, I know that you have a lot to offer in this space. And I'm sure that there's so much more that we could talk about. And so how can people find you if they, if they'd like to get to know you and, and talk with you more? Um, I am on Instagram. My, um, I can be reached there and I do, um, I host the daily still podcast. So that's mm-hmm. also our link is on Instagram as well at, at the daily still. Mm-hmm. And I'm, um, I don't know. Do you put a little link at the end of your, yeah, we'll have yeah. this all in the show. So, yeah. You can mm-hmm. reach me there. If you have any questions, I'm happy to get back to you by, by email or whatever way um, is easiest for you. I love to discuss just the process of sacred rhythms. I host gatherings. Um, we've been on pause this last year, but yeah. I love hosting gatherings in my home or um, little mini retreats where we can come together just to, um, to listen for the whispers of God to just That's slow awesome. down the, the, the pace. And so, um, yes, if you'd like to um, reach out to me, I'm more than happy to discuss what I know. I continue to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a long, a long journey, but um, it's a, a fulfilling one. 
And when we fill out a kilter, we know like, okay, what have I, what have I been missing? What have I not been, been doing that nurtures my soul? And, and our bodies are a big part of that. We have to nurture our bodies. We have to enter into rest. And so um, I encourage you to listen to the check into the podcast or find one that um, Christian meditation is a great way to start because um, it's guided. And it kind of helps you with the prompts. You helps you learn how to get into that space of just listening, the prompting Mm -hmm. questions and that type of thing. So um, I've enjoyed your podcast from time to time. So I would encourage our listeners to check it out. If you're interested in growing in the practice of guided prayer, um, it's a great, it's a great podcast. And you're going to lead us in a guided meditation. Yes, yes, I'd be, I would be honored to do that. Um, It's it's been very interesting to see because if you you knew me and you knew my personality, and um, I am a lot more reserved. And but many years ago, I started off with a story about my cancer. And during that time, God was whispering to me that I was going to have a speaking ministry. Hmm. And that would be like the most frightening thing ever. (laughs) (laughs) The last place I want to be is on a stage. And at the time I was going to, uh, <laughs> yes, the women of faith gatherings. I don't know if you remember those, mm-hmm. they were so popular. And, yeah. And I kept hearing that you will be on a stage like women of faith. And I was in a panic mode, like, oh, you have that wrong word, not me. Anyway, it's so fun to look all the way now, 15, mm-hmm. uh, no, that would have been 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. I want to encourage all the listeners out there when God whispers something to you, don't ever question God's timetable. That would have been 30 years ago. Um that he would give me this platform of a podcast, which mm-hmm. I didn't, we didn't even know what podcasts were back then. Right. And, but yet it's in a way that's comfortable for me. No one mm-hmm. sees me <laughs> I go into my little secret space, but yet God had that for me. And he said, don't doubt what I want to do. And our podcast is heard around the world. And I only share that because you would have to know it just was little tiny beginnings. And it started by this move to Tennessee that I never yeah. thought I would live here. But one of the gals that comes to my gatherings started a podcast um, training and invited me to be part of it and her right in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, and it's ha- kind of how it launched. But we, I have pastors from other countries that just say, I wasn't familiar with this. So it's not like because you're in the church or even a pastor that you are, you know, sitting yeah. down and listening and going through these practices. And so we, we need it. Oh, over 50 countries listen to um, our particular podcast, but how many other ones? Because people are hungry and longing to just yeah be still and sit with God. And so, um, yeah, I invite you to, I invite you in to to come and yes. Well, thanks for taking the time to be with us today, Cindy. And thank you. um, We'll move for having me. Yeah. And we'll, we'll move into um, our time of being led in prayer by you. And again, listeners, if you want to connect with Cindy, you can do that via Instagram and, um, or you can email me and I gladly connect you to her. Um, And then again, if you like this podcast, please consider liking, commenting, reviewing, and sharing it as well. So so even more people can be invited into this. So um, we'll go ahead and move into our time of prayer. God of rest. In quietness and confidence is your strength. 
Isaiah 30, 15. I am at rest in God alone. Psalm 62, 1. Resting in the Lord is a place where wholeness is found and transformation takes place. Today, we'll look at the pausing places in life and the purpose they serve. So find a comfortable place where you can enter a posture of rest in your whole body, soul, mind, and spirit. Take several deep breaths. Simply be present in these moments. Resist the urge to hurry or strive. This past year has been a wilderness season for many people. High levels of anxiety, fear, and fatigue are a very real thing. In the midst of the exhaustion of uncertainty and loss is an invitation to rest. In this resting place, we receive grace to endure the journey and renew our strength. Where might you be resisting the rest God wants to give to you? Settle in with the Lord with whatever feelings of weariness you are carrying. Rest your overworked mind. Rest from words. Rest from the noise. Rest from your emotions. Rest from trying to control or figure everything out. Resting in the Lord is not wasting time, but preparation 
for God's next for us. In stillness, we can know God experientially as a place of self-emptying as He restores our souls. In silence, my soul waits for you and you alone, O God. Our closing blessing is taken from Psalm 62. I invite you to receive this blessing with open hands and an open heart. May your soul rest in God alone, for hope comes from Him. God is your refuge. Selah. May the rest and peace of God be with you. Amen. If you enjoyed today's episode, we would love it if you would share a screenshot of this episode to your Instagram story and tag us at journey underscore TN. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting app.